Welcome to the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ explained, confirmed, and vindicated by Dr. John Owen. We will continue with this reading from page 58, chapter 1. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. Also, please consider, pray, and act upon the important truths found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, Give yourselves to reading. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now, to SWRB's reading of the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, explained, confirmed, and vindicated, which we hope you will find to be a great blessing, and which we pray draws you nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ. For He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come unto the Father but by Him. John 14, verse 6. Chapter 1 Justifying Faith The Causes and Object of It Declared Justification by faith generally acknowledged. The meaning of it perverted. The nature and use of faith in justification proposed to consideration. Distinctions about it waived. A twofold faith of the gospel expressed in scripture. Faith that is not justifying. Acts chapter 8 verse 13. John chapter 2 verse 23 and 24. Luke chapter 8 verse 13. Matthew chapter 7 verse 22 and 23. Historical faith. Whence it is so called and the nature of it. Degrees of assent in it. Justification not ascribed unto any degree of it. A calumny obviated. The causes of true saving faith. Conviction of sin previous unto it. The nature of legal conviction and its effects. Arguments to prove it antecedent unto faith. Without the consideration of it, the true nature of faith not to be understood. The order and relation of the law and gospel. Romans chapter 1 verse 17. Instance of Adam. Effects of conviction. Internal. Displeasancy and sorrow. Fear of punishment. Desire of deliverance. External. Abstinence from sin. Performance of duties. Reformation of life. Not conditions of justification. Not formal disposition unto it. Not moral preparations for it. The order of God in justification. The proper object of justifying faith. Not all divine verity equally, proved by sundry arguments. The pardon of our own sins, whether the first object of faith. 
the Lord Christ in the work of mediation, as the ordinance of God for the recovery of lost sinners, the proper object of justifying faith. The position explained and proved. Acts chapter 10 verse 43, chapter 16 verse 31, chapter 4 verse 12, Luke chapter 24 verse 25 to 27, John chapter 1 verse 12, chapter 3 verse 16 and verse 36, John chapter 6 verse 29 and 47, John chapter 7 verse 38, Acts chapter 26 verse 18, Colossians chapter 2 verse 6, Romans chapter 3 verse 24 and 25, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 and 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 19. The means of justification on our part is faith. That we are justified by faith is so frequently and so expressly affirmed in the scripture as that it cannot directly and in terms by any be denied. For whereas some begin by an excess of partiality, which controversial engagements and provocations do incline them unto, to affirm that our justification is more frequently ascribed unto other things, graces or duties, than unto faith, it is to be passed by in silence and not contended about. But yet, also, the explanation which some others make of this general concession, that we are justified by faith, does as fully overthrow what is affirmed therein as if it were in terms rejected. And it would more advantage the understandings of men if it were plainly refused upon its first proposal than to be led about in a maze of words and distinctions unto its real exclusion, as is done by both the Romanists and Socinians. At present, we may take the proposition as granted, and only inquire into the true, genuine sense and meaning of it. That which first occurs unto our consideration is faith, and that which does concern it may be reduced unto two heads. Number one, its nature. Number two, its use in our justification. Of the nature of faith in general, of the especial nature of justifying faith, of its characteristical distinctions from that which is called faith but is not justifying, so many discourses, diverse of them, the effects of sound judgment and good experience, are already extant, as it is altogether needless to engage at large into a farther discussion of them. However, something must be spoken to declare in what sense we understand these things. What is that faith? which we ascribe our justification unto, and what is its use therein. The distinctions that are usually made concerning faith, as it is a word of various significations, I shall wholly pretermit, not only as obvious and known, but as not belonging unto our present argument. That which we are concerned in is, that in the scripture there is mention made plainly of a twofold faith whereby men believe the gospel. For there is a faith whereby we are justified, which he who has shall be assuredly saved, which purifies the heart and works by love. And there is a faith or believing which does nothing of all this, which who has and has no more 
is not justified nor can be saved. Wherefore, every faith whereby men are said to believe is not justifying. Thus it is said of Simon the magician that he believed. Acts chapter 8 verse 13 when he was in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity, and therefore did not believe with that faith which purifieth the heart. Acts chapter 15, verse 9. And that many believed on the name of Jesus when they saw the miracles that he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew what was in man. John chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. They did not believe on his name as those do, or with the kind of faith, who thereon received power to become the sons of God. John chapter 1 verse 12. And some, when they hear the word, received it with joy, believing for a while, but have no root. Luke chapter 8 verse 13. And faith without a root in the heart will not justify any. For with the heart men believe unto righteousness. Romans chapter 10, verse 10. So is it with them who shall cry, Lord, Lord, at the last day. We have prophesied in thy name. Whilst yet they were always workers of iniquity. Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. This faith is usually called historical faith. But this denomination is not taken from the object of it as though it were only the history of the scripture or the historical things contained in it, for it respects the whole truth of the word, yea, of the promises of the gospel as well as other things. But it is so called from the nature of the ascent wherein it does consist, for it is such as we give unto historical things that are credibly testified unto us. And this faith has diverse differences or degrees, both in respect unto the grounds or reasons of it, and also its effects. For as unto the first, all faith is an ascent upon testimony, and divine faith is an ascent upon a divine testimony. According as this testimony is received, so are the differences or degrees of this faith. Some apprehend it on human motives only, and its credibility unto the judgment of reason. And their assent is a mere natural act of their understanding, which is the lowest degree of this historical faith. Some have their minds enabled unto it by spiritual illumination, making a discovery of the evidences of divine truth whereon it is to be believed. The assent they give hereon is more firm and operative than that of the former soul. Again, it has its differences or degrees with respect unto its effects. With some, it does no way, or very little, influence the will or the affections, or work any changes in the lives of men. So is it with them that profess they believe the gospel, and yet live in all manner of sins. In this degree, it is called by the Apostle James a dead faith, and compared unto a dead carcass, without life or motion, and is an ascent of the very same nature and kind, with that which devils are compelled to give. And this faith abounds in the world. With others, it has an effectual work upon the affections, and that in many degrees, also represented in the several sorts of ground whereinto the seed of the word is cast, 
and produces many effects in their lives. And the utmost improvement of it, both as to the evidence it proceeds from the effects it produces, it is usually called temporary faith, for it is neither permanent against all oppositions, nor will bring any unto eternal rest. The name is taken from that expression of our Savior concerning him who believes with this faith. Proskyros, S.D. Matthew, chapter 13, verse 21. This faith, I grant to be true in its kind, and not merely to be equivocally so called. It is not pistis pseudonumas. It is so as unto the general nature of faith but of the same special nature with justifying faith, it is not. Justifying faith is not a higher or the highest degree of this faith, but is of another kind or nature. Wherefore, sundry things may be observed concerning this faith, and the utmost improvement of it unto our present purpose as, number one, this faith, with all the effects of it, men may have and not be justified, and, if they have not a faith of another kind, they cannot be justified. For justification is nowhere ascribed unto it. Yea, it is affirmed by the Apostle James that none can be justified by it. Number two, it may produce great effects in the minds, affections, and lives of men, although not one of them that are peculiar unto justifying faith. Yet such they may be as that those in whom they are wrought may be, and ought in the judgment of charity to be looked on as true believers. Number three, this is that faith which may be alone. We are justified by faith alone, but we are not justified by that faith which can be alone. Alone respects its influence into our justification, not its nature and existence. And we absolutely deny that we can be justified by that faith which can be alone. That is, without a principle of spiritual life and universal obedience, operative in of it, as duty does require. These things I have observed only to obviate that calumny and reproach which some endeavor to fix on the doctrine of justification by faith only through the mediation of Christ. For those who assert it, must be solifidians, antinomians, and I know not what. Such as oppose or deny the necessity of universal obedience or good works. Most of them who manage it cannot but know in their own consciousness that this charge is false. But this is the way of handling controversies with many. They can aver anything that seems to advantage the cause they plea to the great scandal of religion. If by Solifidians, they mean those who believe that faith alone is on our part the means, instrument, or condition, of which afterward, of our justification, all the prophets and apostles were so, and were so taught to be by Jesus Christ, as shall be proved. If they mean those who affirm that the faith whereby we are justified is alone, separate, or separable from a principle and the fruit of holy obedience, they must find them out themselves. We know nothing of them. For we allow no faith to be of the same kind or nature 
with that whereby we are justified, but what virtually and radically contains in it universal obedience as the effect is in the cause, the fruit in the root, and which acts itself in all particular duties according as by rule and circumstances they are made so to be. Yea, we allow no faith to be justifying or to be of the same kind with it, which is not itself and in its own nature, a spiritually vital principle of obedience and good works. And if this be not sufficient to prevail with some, not to seek for advantages by such shameful calumnies, yet is it so with others, to free their minds from any concernment in them. As for the especial nature of justifying faith, which we inquire into, the things whereby it is evidenced may be reduced unto these four heads. Number one, the causes of it on the part of God. Number two, what is in us previously required unto it. Number three, the proper object of it. Number four, its proper peculiar acts and effects, which shall be spoken unto as far as is necessary unto our present design. Number one, the doctrine of the causes of faith as unto its first original in the divine will, and the way of its communication unto us is so large and so immixed with that of the way and manner of the operation of efficacious grace in conversion, which I have handled elsewhere, as that I shall not herein insist upon, for as it cannot in a few words be spoken unto, according unto its weight and worth, so to engage into a full handling of it would too much divert us from our present argument. This I shall only say, that from thence it may be uncontrollable evidence that the faith whereby we are justified is of an especial kind or nature, wherein no other faith, which justification is not inseparable from, does partake with it. Number two. Wherefore, our first inquiry is concerning what is proposed in the second place, namely, what is on our part in a way of duty previous required thereunto, or what is necessary to be found in us antecedentally unto our believing unto the justification of life. And I say, there is supposed in them in whom this faith is wrought, on whom it is bestowed, and whose duty it is to believe therewith, the work of the law in conviction of sin, or conviction of sin is a necessary antecedent unto justifying faith. Many have disputed what belongs hereunto, and what effects it produces in the mind that dispose the soul unto the receiving of the promise of the gospel. But whereas there are different apprehensions about these effects, or concomitants of conviction, in compunction, humiliation, self-judging, with sorrow for sin committed, and the like, as also about the degrees of them, as ordinarily pre-required unto faith and conversion unto God. I shall speak very briefly unto them, so far as they are inseparable from the conviction asserted. And I shall first consider this conviction itself, with what is essential thereunto, and then the effects of it in conjunction with that temporary faith before spoken of. I shall do so, not as unto their nature, the knowledge whereof I take for granted, 
but only as they have respect unto our justification. Parentheses number one. As to the first, I say, the work of conviction in general, whereby the soul of man has a practical understanding of the nature of sin, its guilt, and the punishment due unto it, and is made sensible of his own interest therein, both with respect unto sin original and actual, with his own utter disability to deliver himself out of the state and condition wherein, on the account of these things he finds himself to be, is that which we affirm to be antecedently necessary unto justifying faith. That is, in the adult, and of whose justification the word is the external means and instrument. A convinced sinner is only, non-English words, n not that everyone that is convinced is or must necessarily be justified. There is not any such disposition or preparation of the subject by this conviction, its effects and consequent, as that the form of justification, as the papists speak, or justifying grace, must necessarily ensue or be introduced thereon. Nor is there any such preparation in, as that by virtue of any divine compact or promise, a person so convinced shall be pardoned and justified. But as a man may believe with any kind of faith that is not justifying, such as that before mentioned, without this conviction, so it is ordinary, previous, and necessary, so to be, unto that faith which is unto the justification of life. The motive unto it is not that thereon a man shall be assuredly justified, but that without it he cannot be so. This, I say, is required in the person to be justified, in order of nature antecedentally unto the faith whereby we are justified, which we shall prove with the ensuing arguments. For, brackets number one, without the due consideration and supposition of it, the true nature of faith can never be understood. For as we have showed before, justification is God's way of deliverance of the convinced sinner, or one whose mouth is stopped and who is guilty before God, obnoxious to the law and shut up under sin. A sense, therefore, of this estate and all that belongs unto it is required unto believing. Hence, Labak, who has searched with some diligence into these things, commends the definition of faith given by Metzterat, that it is, quote, the flight of a penitent sinner unto the mercy of God in Christ, end quote. And there is, indeed, more sense in truth in it than in twenty others that seem more accurate. But without a supposition of the conviction mentioned, there is no understanding of this definition of faith. For it is that alone which puts the soul upon a flight unto the mercy of God in Christ, to be saved from the wrath to come. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18 fled for refuge. Brackets number two. The order, relation, and use of the law and the gospel do uncontrollably invince the necessity of this conviction previous unto believing. For that which any man has first to deal with all, with respect unto his eternal condition, both naturally and by God's instruction, is the law. 
This is first presented unto the soul with its terms of righteousness in life and with its curse in case of failure. Without this, the gospel cannot be understood, nor the grace of it duly valued. For it is the revelation of God's way for the revealing the souls of men from the sentence and curse of the law. Romans chapter 1 verse 17. That was the nature, that was the use and end of the first promise and of the whole work of God's grace revealed in all the ensuing promises or in the whole gospel. Wherefore the faith which we treat of being evangelical, that which in its especial nature and use, not the law but the gospel requires, that which has the gospel for its principle, rule and object, it is not required of us, cannot be acted by us, but on a supposition of the work and effect of the law in the conviction of sin, by giving the knowledge of it a sense of its guilt and the state of the sinner on the account thereof. And that faith, which has not respected hereunto, we absolutely deny to be that faith whereby we are justified. Galatians chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Brackets number 3. This our Savior Himself directly teaches in the Gospel. For He calls unto Him only those who are weary and heavy laden, affirms that the whole have no need of a physician but the sick, and that He came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. In all which He intends, not those who were really sinners, as all men are. For He makes a difference between them, offering the gospel unto some and not unto others, but such as were convinced of sin, burdened with it, and sought after deliverance. So those unto whom the Apostle Peter proposed the promise of the gospel, with the pardon of sin thereby as the object of gospel faith, were pricked to the heart upon the conviction of their sin, and cried, What shall we do? Acts chapter 2, verse 37 to 39. Such also was the state of the jailer, unto whom the Apostle Paul proposed salvation by Christ, as what he was to believe for his deliverance. Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. Brackets number 4. The state of Adam and God's dealing with him therein is the best representation of the order and method of these things. As he was after the fall... So are we by nature, in the very same state and condition. Really, he was utterly lost by sin, and convinced he was both of the nature of his sin and of the effects of it, in that act of God by the law on his mind, which is called the opening of his eyes. For it was nothing but the communication unto his mind by his conscience of a sense of the nature, guilt, effects and consequences of sin which by the law could then teach him and could not do so before this fills him with shame and fear against the former whereof he provided by fig leaves and against the latter by hiding himself among the trees of the garden nor however they may please themselves with them are any of the contrivances of men for freedom and safety from sin either wiser or more likely to have success. In this condition, God, by an immediate inquisition into the matter of fact, 
sharpens this conviction by the addition of his own testimony unto its truth and casts him actually under the curse of the law by a judicial denunciation of it. In this lost, forlorn, hopeless condition, God proposes the promise of redemption by Christ unto him. And this was the object of that faith whereby he was to be justified. Although these things are not thus eminently and distinctly translated in the minds and consciences of all who are called unto believing by the gospel, yet for the substance of them, and as to the previousness of the conviction of sin unto faith, they are found in all that sincerely believe. These things are known, and, for the substance of them, generally agreed unto. But yet are they such as, being duly considered, will discover the vanity and mistakes of many definitions of faith that are obtruded on us. For any definition or description of it which has not expressed, or at least virtual, respect hereunto, it is but a deceit, and no way answers the experience of them that truly believe. And such are all those who place it merely in an assent unto divine revelation, of what nature soever that assent be, and whatever effects are ascribed unto it. For such an assent there may be, without any respect unto this work of the law. Neither do I, to speak plainly, at all value the most accurate dispensations of any about the nature and act of justifying faith, who never had in themselves an experience of the work of the law in conviction and condemnation for sin, with the effects of it upon their consciences, or who do omit the due consideration of their own experience, wherein what they truly believe is better stated than in all their disputations. That faith whereby we are justified is, in general, the acting of the soul towards God, as revealing himself in the gospel, for deliverance out of this state and condition, or from under the curse of the law applied unto the conscience, according to his mind, and by the ways that he has appointed. I give not this as any definition of faith, but only express what has a necessary influence unto it, whence the nature of it may be discerned. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more, at great discounts, are on the web at www.com swrb.com We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710 37A Avenue, Edmonton, AB, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, 
please send an email to add at swrb.com or swrb at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. SWRB's email list is a double opt-in list. So once you've sent us your email address, you'll be asked by email to confirm that you want to join our list using the email address you have supplied. Your email information will be kept confidential, and you can easily remove yourself from our email list by simply emailing us at swrb at swrb.com with the word remove in the subject line. Once you are on our email list, you will be alerted to all the free Reformation resources, free MP3s, free electronic books and texts, etc., that SWRB makes available on the web, as well as, at times, to our best discounts and super specials. We also encourage you to reproduce this audio resource and to pass it on to your friends. But we only authorize this as long as the full contents of the message including the header and trailer, is not altered in any way, and as long as the audio file or cassette is given away for free. Thank you again for listening to this SWRB reading. And remember that Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 states, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 concludes, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you.